is going on, Suns fans? Justin here, and with me, as always, is my podcasting partner, Paul. Yeah, buddy. And welcome to this episode of Fanning the Flames, the OG Phoenix Suns podcast that is made for the fans. That's you guys by the fans. That is us. Yes. As always, intro and outro music presented by Park and Main. Check them out over at parkandmain.bandcamp.com. Still need a shorter website. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm at so says Jay Paul. Dervish of World. And the pod is at Fan the Flames NBA. And in case you don't know this already, Fanning the Flames is available on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and any other platform where your favorite podcasts are streamed. Yes. All right. Yes. All right. So we've come off of our second long vacation of the year. Yeah. At least this time it wasn't a month between podcasts. Uh, we're close. Mm. No, no, no. We're mm. like three and a half weeks. <laughs> we're close. <laughs> Sorry about that. Not quite folks. a month, but. We know at, you missed us. Obviously. You know, absence makes the heart grow fonder. That's science. Right? Yes. Okay. So Pseudo. Pseudoscience. Let's get into it. Let's just go. Let's just go. Let's just go. Let's just go. First of all, let's talk about Brightside Night. Yes. We're coming off of Brightside Night two nights ago. It there was, were 4,000-something kids that got to go to the game. That was my understanding. Yeah, it was four, I think 4,200, I think. Sure. Sure. It's a lot. Sure. Sure. Why not? Uh, it, it's a rousing success. Rousing success. Absolutely. Thank awesome you. Awesome shirts. Awesome shirts. I, I got like seven of them. Thanks, two. Dave. Thanks, Dave. Yeah. Thanks, Dave. Thanks, Craig. I'm kidding. Actually, I got two also. I gave one away to a, a, a young, less fortunate Phoenix Suns fan. Your daughter? No, Dan. Oh, yeah. Uh, is that? <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but no, Brightside Night was a lot of fun, as always. James Jones did his Q&A like he has the past two years now before the game. We'll get into that and some of his quotes during this episode. Um, but thanks to everybody who donated. Uh, thanks to everybody who was there. It was fun getting to catch up and see Suns fans who perhaps we engage with to some extent on Twitter, but don't get to see face-to-face and actually have discussions with as often as perhaps we would like. Yeah, some fans came from far and wide, from Idaho. Idaho. Uh, the United Kingdom? <laughs> I was like, is there more or is it just the one? <laughs> yeah, no, people come around for it. It's, it, it again, great cause. Big ups to Dave King and the guys at well, the guys at Brightside, Dave King at Brightside, and the guys um, of the Suns, and the guys of the Suns did all logistics. Yeah, absolutely. So okay, so we got that little happy feeling part of this podcast out. Now it's the shit show. Now <laughs> we're gonna step into the part of this pod, which is going to be the remainder of this pod, where the podcast of optimism does what it can. Because it's been rough. Welcome to the Thunderdome. It's been rough. I'm going to lead with this question to you, Paul. Okay. And we went through, look, we took almost another month off from doing this, which means we obviously came up with great topics and had some planning. Oh, yeah. None. Literally none. (laughs) I threw out some topics. We're going to run through, but I didn't actually tell you about this one yet. Uh Oh. So (laughs) I'm going to ask you this question. I'm intrigued. Have you given up on the Suns? No. It has gotten difficult. Okay. It's they're falling back into old patterns. It's getting to the point where it's like almost feels existential. In that we turned over the roster, we replaced them with good-ish players. We yet. The same problems persist like they are the are Marquis Chris and Dragon Bender and all these guys that we've had in previous seasons and I'm confused. I just Hold on, hold on, hold on. Let me let me I need to step back. Where does the reference to Chris and Bender tie into what the Suns are going through? You mean just Overall, I'm just saying, as a franchise, there it's like that. Why I say it's existential is it's like you get in this building, you get infected, you start to suck. 
Which could explain why the Suns are seven and fourteen at home and seven and nine on the road right now. It, it could. It just was that too literal. Yes. Okay. Um, because like that's 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 the question. Like you know, for years it's been like, oh no, they were too young, or like we didn't really have good players on the team. The only good player was Devin Booker. We brought in. Everybody said we brought in competent NBA players, guys who belong on rosters, guys who deserve minutes. Ricky Rubio, Aaron Baines, Dario Saric, yada, yada, yada. We turned over 75, 70% of Yada, yada, yada over Czech Diallo? Yes. Well, he, Did I say his name right? Czech Diallo? I, can't, I, I don't know why I can pronounce the guy's name. I know. I was, that was more sarcastic. Although I, I do feel like maybe he should get a little more burn, but whatever. So, so let's focus on the question at hand. Yeah. You, being the pessimistic one yeah. of this podcast, just said you have not given up on the Suns. I feel like there are a lot of people out there in Suns Nation that are giving up on this team. Well, I know there are a lot of people giving up on DeAndre Ayton because obviously seven games into this, his second year, you should give up on him. Yeah. We'll talk about that later too, perhaps. Okay. But you're saying you have not given up on the Suns. Why have you not given up on the Suns yet? Because I'm an addict. <laughs> All right. Well, I didn't. I mean, that's actually that's because that that's how that's, that's about that's, as straightforward and honest as it can get. That's how irrational sports fandom is. It's yeah. like there are Cleveland Brown fans for a reason. I think they just like pain. Oh, you like pain, maybe too a little bit. Maybe you don't don't give me nonverbal signals here. Paul. <laughs> it doesn't work. I know audio medium. Um, no. <laughs> Not really, but not not physical pain, maybe emotional pain. Sure. So, but, but I mean, when you say you haven't given up, though, because I, how do I put this gently to you? And yeah. I love you. You know I love you. Yeah. I feel like you could very easily be somebody at this point that checks out only because, here's why, because, and again, this is not a knock, because of the high followed by the low and me knowing your somewhat pessimistic side yeah being like this is worse than what we've been gone gone through before at least before we just sucked 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 constantly but now we had hope and then we crushed it we came out seven and four and have since gone seven that's, and 19 and i think that's really the biggest problem that people are having with the season rather than it being us being 14 and 22 with it been like oh we win two we lose three we win one you know go on a three-game run. It's like we came out the gates on fire, and then it's like watching t- uh, It's watching night and day of the team on the floor. It's because they run hot and cold. But they've been running really cold for really long. You know, it's like if they pull, if they pull a game out like they're – well, one thing, this team does not know how to close out games. They just don't. Like – they had a fucking twenty-one point lead against Memphis or against the Kings, and lost it by was it eleven? 10, eleven. And they got outscored by twenty in the fourth quarter. Exactly. It's like part of the reason we supposedly brought in Ricky Rubio is to be able to steady the ship in those situations. And you know we have a lot. Even like early in the season, I had that concern a little bit because. The games we were losing, we were losing a lot of them close, and it's like, okay, this team doesn't know how to win close. They, you know, they get in their own heads or whatever, and maybe that's just kind of what's happening is they've gotten in their own heads, and it's like snowballing a little bit. And I don't, I don't know how to fix it. I'm, I'm kind. Have have they had that the players only meeting? That like teams who are kind of, you know, struggling. Have I feel like it would have been more publicized if like Booker called a players only meeting and be like, "What the fuck, guys? We gotta like we gotta get back to how we were playing before." Right, and and I I, I don't and like you know, it, you know, Festivus just happened. Why weren't they airing their grievances with each other? Fair, <laughs> fair, fair. Good good reference, by the way. Let me let me look at it from a counter perspective. Okay, as I tend to do. As we both tend to do on this pod, you talk about how the Suns can't close out games. They don't know how to close out games. Let me throw a word at the end of that. Yeah. Yet. Yet. Is that um, not part of the process? Is that part of this process that yes. we're going through? Because, and I understand, I understand 
from the Suns fan's perspective, it gets difficult to continue to hear this, to continue to hear that it takes time because over the past decade, it's been like there's been reset after reset after reset. Wait, just give me, let me, let no. me. No. Now I lost my train of thought. No. But isn't that part of that process? There, regardless of what they've done over the past week, two weeks, three weeks, as a whole, this team is in a better position right now yes. at this point in the season than they were last year. Yes. Does that not show growth? I will answer my own question and say, yes, I believe it does. Does that, not, does that mean that they're where they need to be? Absolutely not. But the fact that the biggest gripe that we have right now is that they can't close out games. The biggest gripe that we have right now is that in most of their losses, they've had a double-digit lead and haven't been able to hold on to that. I, I think that's where the being, frustration comes in. The issue being they can't maintain right now is a much different and, from my perspective, better. And again, from my perspective, part of the growth process as opposed to the position they were in over the pe- last year, the year before, the year before that, the year before that, the year before that. Do I need to continue? No. Where they just don't know how to even stay in the position to possibly win games. Which, And I, I agree with all those points. It's just frustrating in the moment. That's fine. Like, I, I and was. it's just, yeah. you know, when like I was at the Memphis game, I was at the Kings game. The Memphis game was frustrating, but it was actually also um, uh, hopeful because they came back and they made it a game. They were, you know, within three points with a shot to win it, and then you know some stuff happens. But then to, to then so you know is a deflating loss from that standpoint. But uh, there was things to build on with that. But then they go into the Sun, the Kings game, and. Through three quarters, we were like, hey, you know, they, you know, because particularly because Monty, like, had, like, his press conference was, was, like, basically, like, a statement. A statement. You know, it seemed for, for a bit that, like, that kind of was resonating About with the two Suns. and a half quarters. Yeah. Maybe two and three quarters, quarters. Maybe. But, okay, then what's. Well, they what? have also started, they, they don't start game strong. When was the last time the Suns started a game strong? Like they got, they were in an eight-point hole against the against the Kings at the start of the game yesterday. Right. Um, they were in a hole against Memphis too. Did they have to? They constantly they were, have to battle back from that, and then. And I'm yeah, and I'm looking back from to the previous few games. They were in a hole against the Knicks. After yeah. The first quarter, they won that game. They were in a hole against the Lakers. Huge hole. That was more. They, of they a, battled back in that one too. But. Moral victories aren't aren't victories. So what's what's worse, being in a position where the team has a lead and blows it and loses, or being in a game where the team is having to fight back and makes it close and loses? <laughs> That's a that might have been the stupidest question <laughs> ever. Because either way, it's a loss. Right? Either way, it's a loss. I would take the second one over the first one because it shows they have fight. Whereas a game where they started hot and then, like, cooled versus a game where they started cold and, like, then, like, got into the game, I'd I'd rather have that because at least it makes the game – it makes the game exciting at the end because, hey, they may pull this out and then you're like, oh, darn, they didn't – they couldn't do it. Versus, oh, my God, they're, like, literally that last game, like, Dan was, like, from, like – when they were down, when they're still up fourteen, he's like, "We're going to lose this game," right? And then proceeded to say that for the next ten minutes of game time. Probably still saying it now. Yeah. But and he literally spoke it into existence. But the, the, does that not mean though that I mean does that mean that the game's not exciting? I mean, I I, I thought the Kings game was still an exciting game. I, I I'd much rather see from from my perspective at least, and and this is like. There, there's an analogy that I can use right now that I won't use because it's very, very inappropriate. So uh-huh. I'll, I'll share that with you later. Maybe you All know right. what I'm thinking. But it, it, 
having the lead and then losing it to me is better than having to fight all the way back because if you fall fall in a hole the fact that you fight back doesn't mean that that's reflective of what the team's capable of doing that could very well be reflective of the other team letting down their guard which is exactly on the flip side i think why the suns have difficulties keeping up the right. lead which again goes back to my point of is this not just part of the growth part of the process and let's take into account as well over the past few weeks since we've last recorded the suns have been integrating deandre Ayton back into a team back into the lineup back back into rotations well also pushing random guys out that right and we'll get into that as well but you look at it and 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 i was thinking about that today you look at it from the perspective of ayton's been practicing so why should this be so difficult but you're still incorporating him into NBA game speed when the teams that you're playing as far as their cohesion mm. are basically, when Aiton came back, 26 games, 25 games ahead of you. Right. So it's it's one of those things. And, and I asked you the question to start, have you given up on the Suns? You obviously said no. I think the obvious answer for me is no. Yeah. Um, but I think that there's a lot out there with people looking at it and just having this gut immediate reaction saying these are the net results i'm not happy with them this team is the same that we've seen in the past when there are other factors that come into play that perhaps people aren't taking into consideration or maybe they are but aren't giving that those considerations the weight that they should be receiving. I under, I understand your point, but at the same time, I think we can make that argument for every season prior to this as well, to varying extents. Well, well, let, well. Let me let me okay. Let me finish. But <laughs> let me, let, can, let, I finish? Let me finish. can I finish? Can I finish? Can I finish? <laughs> can I finish? Can I finish? Can I finish? Yes, you Ross. youngins won't. Yes, know what Ross, that is. you can finish. <laughs> Um, and you made me lose my train of thought, but so so back to your, back to your point about, um, a hot start and a cold finish versus a cold start and a hot finish, which one's better from a long-term perspective, a hot start and a cold finish is better because it shows there's a capability there that they just need to get over hump, which yes, is true. I'm talking about more the enjoyment of the individual game. A hot start and then blowing it is infinitely more frustrating. It's more painful. It's more painful. That's fair. As a fan. That's fair. And when we're and when that's and when that's basically the season, that's you know, you extrapolate that out to the season. It's like hot start, ice cold. And it's like Okay, maybe they turn it around, which is great, but we, you know, we haven't seen it. And you like, we're starting to think we, when like the Memphis game, like yeah, after the Lakers game, it's like okay, they've got six winnable games here, mm-hmm. and then they proceed to lose the first two. It, it starts to make me question where can they win the next four? And and maybe and maybe what ultimately boils down to is really just the psychology of being a sports fan. Yeah, it sucks because. I can sit here from my perspective, and I think it's a perfectly defensible and perfectly reasonable perspective, and say, look at it all in the grand scheme of things. Whether they start hot and lose, or whether they start cold and lose, or whether they start hot and win, whether they start cold and win, the net result is the same. But the psychology of a sports fan is going to focus on the aspect of all of that that well, they want to focus well, on. I, it's the same thing. It's the same thing, and we'll get into this too, with the with the James Jones comment at Brightside Night right. about how he thinks the team is ahead of where they expected to be, and people get pissed about that because they're thinking, oh, he expected them to, you know, he expected them to only have, he expected them to play this way and have this type of streak versus. If they started cold and got hot, and he said that, 
there perhaps was it would be a different response. Well, I I think there's I think what you're seeing a lot in the fan base right now is a lot of concern that what we've seen over the last seven and nineteen games versus the first seven and four. Did I do that math right? Yep. Okay. Is that's what the true team is, and then that ignore the seven and four extrapolate out that 7-19 over the rest of the season, that's a failure of a season. I mean, yes, it's a better record than last season, but not by a lot. And so I think that's where, because it's not, because we haven't, we've had the up and we've had the down, we haven't had another up yet of any significance. And that, and everybody's just like spiraling that we're just going to keep going down this path of maybe winning one in four, one in five games. Yeah, and that's what I'm saying is the psychology of being a sports fan right. is, is what have you done for me lately? Yeah. If, oh, yeah if, if if the Suns started seven and 19 and have gone seven and four since, it's a completely different narrative. Right. Or if, But my, my point— Or if they just spread it out evenly, we'd right. be like, this is what we expected. My, my, my point is I think you need to look at it as a whole. And as a whole, the team is still improved. Mm-hmm. The team is still like okay. If this team right now going into its thirty, I'm trying to do math in my head. What are they? Fourteen and twenty. Thirty seventh game. Three now. Thirty eighth game. Thirty eighth game. If they went into the thirty eighth game this season, this this team, and play the Suns team that played. It's 38th game last season. Who wins that game? Well, the Warriors did beat us, and they only have nine wins right now. <laughs> yeah, but the Warriors also were coming off of and they were missing the, all their beating the, best players, beating the Clippers mm-hmm. the day before. They beat somebody just somebody. prior to that, right? Just like I, I Memphis. Mean, on paper, I would say the Suns. Yes, you would say the Suns would I would beat say the, the Suns. Suns, the Suns, the Suns. This year's Suns. You're killing me, Paul. I know. I try. It's my goal in life. My my point being, and and again, my answer is obviously I haven't given up on the Suns. Yeah, they're going through struggles, but like James Jones said on Brightside Night, there's no switch that you can flip. Granted, right. he was talking about trades, but there's still no switch that flips. And again, I understand from the perspective of Suns fans have been going through this for the past decade, hearing preach patience, but. Unfortunately, that's just the situation that we as fans are in because we're sitting with a new regime right now. Regime right now. We're sitting with a new head coach. We're sitting with a new GM. We're sitting with an entirely new roster. And these growing pains are going to happen. Now, could the Suns team end up being the 7-19 team? Sure, it could. Do I think it will? No. Which is why I have not given up on them. And on that note, let's take our first break. So before Brightside Night, or I guess on Brightside Night, uh, there was a Q&A session with James Jones like we did last year, and then in prior years it's been Ryan McDonough. Uh, and there was one particular quote from Jones that stuck out to me. And I, I had tweeted it out, and I paraphrased because, well... I'm not that fast of a typer, I guess, on my phone. I don't know. But ultimately what he said was if you were to tell him before the season that the Suns at this point of the year would be where they are record-wise, standing-wise, you know, a couple games out of the eighth spot in the playoffs, he would have said they would be ahead of his expectations, ahead of where he expected them to be. And when I put that on Twitter, there was a lot of negative reaction to that. Folks saying that Jones is trying to downplay expectations so there's no negative impact on him. People saying that Jones, um, you know, would knew that DeAndre Ayton was going to get suspended was one that I saw, which didn't make sense to me. Um, basically, people saying that he's just underselling this because, as I took it, they think that he's failing. Now, taking my own commentary on all that aside, Paul, 
the concept that James Jones laid out, that being that this team is actually ahead of where expectations would have put them on the grand scheme of things, in the grand scheme of things, not over the past week, two weeks, three weeks. How do you feel about that thought process? How do you feel about that perspective? Is this team ahead of where you expected them to be? And maybe more to the point, if James Jones is saying this team is ahead of where he expected them to be, do you take that as a negative? To your first point, I um, I am the Suns are where I wanted them to be prior to the first game of the season. I was ex- I was hoping for they're on pace for just right about thirty two wins. Mm-hmm. I was hoping that they would be in the low 30s. That was kind of like if they're in the low 30s, that's a that's a really solid step from where we were last season. You know, it's like where we turned over the majority of the roster, so there you know, there's growing pains there. There's, you know, just internal improvement because we're still the youngest roster in the league. Yada yada yada. I'm going to just gonna keep yada yada yadaing things all night. All night, baby. Um, so I like, which is back to our original conversation where it's, I think if the psychology of a, sports the psychology fan. of a sports fan, if this was a more measured 14 and 22, 23, where, where those wins were all spread out relatively evenly throughout the first, uh, 38 games, 37 games. There you go. CPA. Yeah. I don't do head math. That's what calculators are for. And Excel. Excel's my friend. Um, 13 plus, never mind. Yeah. 14. Going. Look, now I'm underselling the Talking sons. and doing math at the same time is a very, very hard thing to do. That is a dangerous proposition. <laughs> it's two different sides of your brain working at the same time. But, so if it, if they were at that point, everybody like, oh, they're where we expected them to be. The problem was they reset expectations with those first couple weeks. And now... They're not living up to those reset expectations. Mm-hmm. Um, so going back, to, if I went back to the offseason and was able to maintain that same mentality, I think I'd be very pleased with where they are. I'd be frustrated with how they've had a lot of their losses because I'd be like, oh, they could be so much better. But that's kind of that's kind of where how teams grow. And that's and just to interject really quickly, that's a point that Jones brought up, too, is they're three or four possessions away from being a 14, 15 team, 15 win team. Excuse me. (laughs) Now I can't do math from being a 17 to 18 win team. If not 20, if not 20, which, which is great. And, um, so what was your second question? Does it reflect negatively on Jones that, his perspective is that the team is ahead of where he realistically thought they would be at this point in the season. No, it makes him a realist. Thank, which is thank you. Which is which is good. I mean, he shouldn't like, like the, what do you, the problem. What do you, what this team is do? jump in and be like, we're going to win a title this year. The like, pro- we, we've we've had that situation before. It was like we're shooting for the playoffs this year. That's our goal. We're going to be a playoff team, and then we crash and burn. Which is a big reason why we are where we are. Exactly. Jones has, at least for the time being, convinced Sarver that we got to be methodical about that. This that means incremental improvement, <clears throat> and we've made incremental improvement, assuming. This winning percentage carries through to the end of the season. I mean, I think the over under in Vegas is only like twenty eight and a half. It was either twenty eight and a half or twenty nine and a half. Right. It I, was, it, interestingly, it, only half a game higher than last year's. Right. And they're on pace to beat that. Mm-hmm. Now, so I. But my point was with that. And most analysts in, you know, in NBA journalism and whatnot, I think had the Suns, like, you know, in the low to mid-20s. They were, they were pessimistic. Um, Vegas was realistic or potentially realistic. And I think Jones was probably around – my guess is Jones was probably around where Vegas was. 
from yeah. a winning percentage. Yeah. I mean, it's not like it's not like what he was expecting was he, he said they're ahead of his expectations. It's not like his expectations were, oh, we'd only have won eight games. Right. And they're ahead, he's ahead of that. Maybe his expectations was 12 wins by now. Maybe it was 11. That's still – it's not horrendous. And, it's still on and, a decent pace And and to give for a growing team. And to give some context too. Like I said, I kind of paraphrased when I tweeted out what he was saying or what he said. But looking at the uh, – article on brightsideofthesun.com today, which is where you can find this podcast, by the way. Um, yeah, we always forget that part. We do forget <laughs> that part. Uh, he, he, he said that in, from the perspective of being two games at the time, now three games, I believe, out of the eighth spot in the playoffs. And he said that he would have realistically, he, I, well, let me quote, quote, I could realistically say that's not what I expected, end quote, when talking about being two games out of the eight spot. He went on to go into, you know, what I said earlier, a few possessions away from being a team that has three or four more wins. But I think you bring up a good point in that it's him being realistic. And, you know, I said I wasn't going to do this. I wasn't going to. You know, I won't. I won't. I'm going to make this more generic and more general. Here's the problem with sports fans in general. Okay. James Jones says... This team is ahead of expectations from my perspective, my being James Jones. And fans react and say, oh, he's just trying to protect his job. He's just trying to downplay it because he wants to look good, yada, yada, yada. The Suns are ahead of our expectations. Whereas, hold on, whereas if James Jones came in and said, no, we're not meeting the expectations I had. I thought we'd be better. Then he would get lambasted for thinking too highly of his team, thinking that they're better than they actually are. I mean, there's no winning for a guy like that at the end of the day. There really isn't. And if you look at it from the, the only way you win the, is you don't talk to the media, right? <laughs> Which, you know what? Good for James Jones for engaging and being willing to talk. And he's, you know, and and to get off topic a bit, but still on James Jones. I mean, the dude's a straight shooter. I mean, he has his weekly interview 3 o'clock on Wednesdays, if I recall correctly, because that's when I'm picking my kids up from school, and I listen to it. I sit in the parking lot with uh, Burns and Gambo, right? Gambo and Burns, Burns and Gambo, whatever. Uh, and and he, he doesn't really pussyfoot around questions. I mean, he, he calls it like it is. He says what's on his mind, which I think is is good, particularly for this Franchise having somebody who is transparent like that is important. But again, I look at it from the perspective like you do, Paul, and that is he's being realistic. And where the Suns are right now, putting aside the hot start and the slow play as of late, if you look at it in its entirety, it's at best where we expected them to be. I mean, if they were beyond this, at this point in the stage, if they had more more wins at this point in the season than they have right now, I'd be over the moon. Yeah. You know? And at the same time, they're still three games out of the playoff spot. But they're also in 13th place in the West. Right. <laughs> right. No, and, Which is and crazy. And that's that's the way the way the West is right now. And I mean, they're they're three games out of the eighth and two and a half games out of the eighth. Unless the Spurs play oh, you're tonight. Right. Two and a half games out of the eighth. They're and seven games out of the seventh. That's uh, the, the, the West is going to come down to battling over that eighth spot. You know, that that whole idea of a, of a tournament for the last two playoff spots gets intriguing in seasons like this. Right. When it's like, huh, I could have the fourth pick or I could get in the playoffs yeah, what happens then? Do the teams just tank in the in the play in tournament? Well, I, well, actually, well, I think that play in tournament isn't it, isn't it only supposed to take. Who gets to play in that play in tournament? Is it like the wild card where it's like like seven, eight, nine, and ten get to play for seven and eight? I don't know because to be honest, I it's all I, like, I saw I saw I saw articles about it, and my immediate thought was that's never going to actually happen. I don't think it will, so I didn't bother. So I wouldn't hate that. 
I wouldn't hate like a single elimination like three game tournament for the seventh and eighth. What 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 if what if they just did like like a big three tournament, like three on three, one day, four teams, single elimination, play to twenty one, win by two. Now you're talking my language. I don't know why. That just sounds fun. All right, quick, quick, quick tangent. General NBA. I don't know if I've talked about this on this pod before, but there's all this talk about, you know, getting getting rid of conferences, seeding the playoffs, you know, whatever, yada yada yada, you know, reducing games, all this stuff. I have an idea of how to reorganize the NBA season. I want to throw it out at you. I don't know if I've told you this before. <laughs> this is brand new to me, and I'm excited. So. So, people hate, hate conferences as it is, and they hate, apparently hate divisions even more. Like Zach Lowe despises the idea of divisions. Division. He's like, what's the point of them? I want to steer into the skid. I want to increase the importance of a division. Okay. Make it more like baseball or football. You got 50 games against the other 25 teams in the league. Two games each. You just put everybody's home and away. Your division, you play eight times. Still an 82-game season. But you play your division eight times. Get rid of conferences. Division winners guaranteed into the playoffs. Top 16 teams total. Ranked 1 to 16. I I I I don't mind that, Paul. Yeah, I mean, I think I think it could it would actually increase those local rivalries like, you know, Suns Lakers or whatnot because you're playing that much more, create and create more storylines because you have eight games against those same teams. Talk about like two teams that hate each other playing eight times. It just I think it. Could it could work? It's just an idea. I haven't seen it thrown out there anywhere else. Everybody else is trying to talk about getting rid of divisions and things of that nature. Just an idea. I but it, but it but it reduces the impact. Like even though you're you're spreading out the games against everybody else equally, it to a certain extent increases the importance of division games. But since you're talking about one through sixteen, regardless of I mean, are conferences gone in that? Conferences are gone. Okay. So, obviously, because there's no reason to have conferences at that point. So, the 1 through 16 perspective, or the 1 through 16 aspect means it doesn't matter what conference you're in. You're not really going to, like like you said, 50 of your games are going to be played against the same teams as everybody else plays their 50 games. Right. So, the cream of the crop, if you will, will rise. And perhaps if you have stronger divisions... Those teams are then when they are playing each other more, they're fighting for that higher seat. They may be they may be lower in the sixteen, like you know, for like they're not going to have like, the number one seat if they're because they're going to cannibalize on each other. But if they're still strong, they're they're going to chew up the other fifty the other games, five five eighths or yeah. so of their season. They'll yeah. they'll they'll run through. Hmm. Hmm. Just threw it out there. I don't mind it. I don't mind it. Now, back, what back were we on talking the about Suns? before we? Before <laughs> I don't even know. <laughs> All right. Well, let's move on from whatever it was that we were talking about. We'll hop. Oh, we're talking about James Jones quote. Um, we'll move past that. We'll hop into the next topic. Uh huh. And that is so we've been talking a lot about hot start, slow play as of late, yep. as of late extended late. What is the biggest problem with the Suns right now? They got away from – I feel like they've gotten away from what was working for them at the beginning of the season. I don't know why. I don't know how. But when they started the season, you know, they – that ball moved. Yeah. I I haven't, I haven't seen the numbers, but I really would like to see the number of passes, like, in a game – it feels like they were passing all the time. They were constantly they were playing as a team, which was what was surprising. And now it just doesn't feel that way anymore. Maybe it's guys have gone cold, so like people are afraid. You know, people are subconsciously like 
that guy's not shooting that well. Why should I pass to him? You know, because he's going to take the shot and he's not going to make it. I don't know. I, I, it feels like Monty's kind of the same way. He seems like he's just like, why? He, he can't figure out the why to correct it. And I think the passing thing is a very good point to bring up. And that's actually something that James Jones mentioned the other night as well. When he was talking about the, the Memphis, Memphis game, game. Yeah. he said that he believed that that was, as far as the number of passes goes, the game where the Suns had the fewest passes. And and Memphis was the opposite. Right. And and my... my open shot after open shot. My gut reaction to that from what from you bringing it up is it could be a matter of pressing you know suddenly things aren't going the way they were going earlier suddenly players start thinking i need to do more as opposed to trusting in the system they're in quicksand which then i think brings us back to monty's memphis post-game press conference where he said if we're not going to execute and we're not going to do what's in the game plan this is going to continue to happen yeah and i think that then leads into a point that has been brought up a lot recently over over the struggles and that is people getting down on monty williams as a coach which i think is stupid i think it's absolutely stupid because this is a guy who came into a situation He's 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 in a spot where he has what a five year contract. Yeah. So this guy's not going to coach scared, first of all. Right. And he came into a situation where the roster was turned over. There's been a lot of struggles over the past, and he's really given the Suns the most success we've seen since what 2011. Yeah. And people are questioning him, but he walks into a press well, conference. That's and basically just what happens. That's what you do when a team psychology of slide. sports. It's right. like. Exactly. The, the players aren't really going to – it's not easy to move players, so you're going to blame the coach. Maybe the point of this podcast is stop being reactionary and look at the big picture of things. Right? Sure. This particular episode. This particular episode. Because – I think we have I, our title. I, 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 think, I think Monty Williams – I think Monty Williams sees what the problem is. It's a matter of getting his team, the youngest team in the NBA – to recognize and to go past what their perhaps their 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 gut reaction would be their their immediate reaction wanting to say I know what I can do I'm going to try to force this and just continue to buy into and continue to operate within a system and trust that it's going to revert back to what it was earlier in the year when the ball was moving when the ball wasn't sticking when people weren't taking Stupid shots. Right. I think, and since we had this conversation, I think when we were prepping for the show, I was like, we were talking about like, what is wrong? And I was like, it's existential. Honestly, I'm starting to think, I think they are in quicksand. You know, you, you know, you've seen the replacements. Mm-hmm. That wonderful Keanu Reeves movie. For those of you who don't understand what Quicksand is, if you haven't seen The Replacements, watch the watch, go watch it. Quicksand is when something goes wrong, you know, something goes wrong, and then another thing goes wrong, and another thing goes wrong, and another thing goes wrong, and you're like, you start sinking, and you're sinking. It's mental. And I think the, his, the last few years of the Suns have kind of created a cloud over this team that the fans feel that the players, particularly like guys like Booker, the only guy who's been around for all of it, any of it, <laughs> any significant amount of it, but um, management, even though that's turned over, um, there's just an aura that, you know, once something starts going wrong, you know, Something else goes wrong and you can't and you just start to expect it and you start and you no matter what you do, you're not you can't get out of it. And that's that's just what seems like it's happening. It's it's a hard thing to kind of it's a mental thing to just kind of break. I wonder if they need to bring in a sports psychologist. I feel like uh, <laughs> we've determined from this episode that the psychology of well, that's sports fans. <laughs> Maybe we should they should probably bring us in. Yes. I feel like if we went and talked to the team, things would change. 
Hundred percent. I would tell DeAndre Aiden to start shooting threes. Just fucking do it, bro. Just, just take one. It. Just do it. Just take one. Pop that cherry and do it. Honestly, he just even if it's not gonna make it, like who cares if you make it? Just take it. Aaron Baines ain't making them right now, and he's taking them, so might as well just let everybody do it, right? Well, I'm, I, he's 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 kind of he's kind of in the same headspace that Ben Simmons is in right now. No, oh, I mean, okay, uh, fair. I don't because we one well, we we don't know if Aiden's a good a good or bad shooter or whatnot, but he is just he's mentally choosing to not take those shots, right? Well, and and putting him into the starting lineup with Baines, which we haven't even talked about yet. Yeah. But I think we don't need to because I think that's ending. But putting him into the starting lineup with Baines and having him be the five, which um, I get that's what he is. Right. But that doesn't exactly give him the opportunity to take a lot from me. Well, you know? we were, when Baines was in the starting lineup, we were playing five out. All right. No, that's Baines. fair. Yeah. So, yeah. And and that's why people were concerned about when Aiton was going to be reintegrated because it's like this five out is basically working, and then, until Baines got injured, and then you know things happened. Yeah, now I got you. So all right, well hey, let's uh, let's take one more break and we'll get into the last segment here of this episode of Fan in the Flames. I mentioned that uh, I didn't feel like we need to talk much about the Aiton Baines starting duo because that was going to come to an end. I do believe Bayton. that is going to Baiton. I do believe that's going to come to an end, which then raises the question, Paul, who slides into the starting spot, whatever spot that might be, depending on who it is and uh, where Aiton ends up for Baiton, for Baines. Who do you think it is? Who do I think it is or who do I want it to be? Oh, both. I'd like to who see... Who do you want Br- it to be first? I'd like to see Bridges get a shot. Okay. You know, they've been playing that uh, that lineup of, uh, you know, the traditional starting lineup plus Bridget, Bridges. So I'm not entirely sure which one of them plays the four. But I think it could be interesting to just kind of see what that can do with, uh, you know, we, there was some, we had some success with that last season. Um and but now to have like a better point guard running that mm-hmm. that group for like longer stretches, I think it could be it could be fun. And I think talk about something that would excite Sun's Twitter. Oh yeah. <laughs> Give the people what they want, right? Right. Um, I mean we you do have questions like I mean there's you can make an argument that you know maybe maybe it's not well, Baton's gone, but um, I'm thoroughly confused as to why Dario Saric has had um, issues being uh, staying in the lineup. You know, he was virtually. If not, did he? Did he have any DMP coaches' decisions? Or if he didn't have any of those, it was like, oh, he only got five minutes that night. Um, it was. It. I personally thought he'd been playing pretty well this season. He's one of the most. Con- he seemed to be one of the more consistent players on the team, mm-hmm. so I don't know how he got in Monty's doghouse. Um, especially because with Kaminsky going down for however long he's down, that's another something we I completely forgot about until I right now. <laughs> <laughs> we don't really have another power forward on the roster. I actually I'd be kinda interested to see Diallo and Aiden on the court together. I don't know, have we seen that? Um, I'm sure I, I I could look it up, but I I, would, um, I, I think it might have been like two maybe minutes. Not. Yeah, it's it, if if it if it has happened, it's been very minimal. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, we don't really have any other power forwards on the roster, and take the one guy we have, who even at best he's he's more he's like more of a three four than like a true four. But I mean, you know, positionist basketball and all that. Um. I just I don't know why he fell out of the roster. I it it's very 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 confusing to me. Do you have thoughts, Justin? Um, yeah, and I was just actually looking up something, which is why I wasn't looking at you. Um, as it pertains to the time that Bridges is spent on the court with the quote unquote traditional starting lineup, as as you mentioned, but I'll I'll continue looking it up as I after I finish. 
sharing my thoughts. I actually agree with you. I think that I would like to see Bridges slip in there. We run out a starting lineup of Rubio, Booker, Bridges. It's a smaller lineup. Put Ubre at the four. Or Bridges at the four. Or Bridges at the four, and then Aiton at the five. Yeah. Um, You know, one of the things that James Jones said the other day in terms of why they were starting Aiton and Baines together was for, you know, defensive reasons. And obviously... And it was also a weird little, like, situation of, like, matchup-wise. You know, the Lakers were huge. The Knicks are only power forwards. Um, They played another team that was pretty big in there, I think. Maybe. Sacramento has the potential of being big, but Holmes wasn't playing. But still, I I get what you're saying. And and also, Sarich does not have any DNP coaches' decisions this year. Um, But... He's just like barely one of the things. One of the things that James Jones had said was they wanted, you know, to improve the defense to start mm-hmm. the game. Well, regardless of what Bridges has done offensively, struggles from three, et cetera, et cetera, there's still no doubt that he's a good defensive player. Now, right. now, again, it depends on who you're playing. Can he match up against other fours in the league? Can depends he, who it is. Yeah, is he going to um, guard LeBron? That's when it's going to be tough. Right, but... But then again, it's tough to the guard LeBron but, period. But then is Baines going to guard... Oh, obviously, you know, yeah. it would be the other way around. But still, I think... Aiden I, guarded LeBron pretty well. Yeah, he, he did. And I, and I think I think Bridges has a defensive ability to at least put up a fight against even better fours in the league. So yeah. if the idea is, hey, we want to put more of a defensive minded to the extent that we can as the Suns, unit out there to start the game what's why not why not run bridges out there right and and ultimately you look at it clearly baines i mean since he came back from injury he struggled i mean his his, the difference in his game statistically both normal stats and advanced are are night and day between his time and his playing before the injury and after Mm -hmm. uh and and obviously part of the after injury Time frame has included him playing with 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 Aiton, and maybe maybe that's just not not a good mix. Maybe it's not. I mean, I hate his. I mean, with regards to Baines, I I honestly wonder if he's got slightly more pressing concerns right now back home. Oh, you think? I'm just I'm just wondering. You know, yeah, like sure. you know, he just he can't focus the way he ideally would want to, right? Because. He has just has this thing that's just hanging out there in the back of his head. Yeah, and you know, and I get you, and and you know, okay. So I I pulled up on um, Basketball Reference. Speaking of which, if you have free money, donate to uh, help Australia fight those fires. There Please. you go. Yes, absolutely. Red Cross or any other the organizations. Um. Yes. Thank you for that interlude, Paul. You're welcome. Uh, looking at looking at the lineups that Aiton's been on the court with since he's been back this year. The the lineup where he spent the most minutes on the court with has been him, Baines, Booker, Ubre, and Rubio. What's the lineup that's best? Now the net per one hundred possessions plus minus of that particular lineup is a plus ten. The lineup where he's played the second amount of second most amount of time has been him, Booker, Bridges, Ubre, and Rubio. Which is the lineup I'm is the the lineup that we're talking about. And the net per one hundred possessions plus minus for that lineup has been plus thirty point six. So Smaller sample size. I mean, overall time again. Aiton. We're talking about a small sample size well, here. Period. But Aiton's only the, the the initial lineup that I talked about. The you know basically what their starting lineup is. He's had forty minutes plus on the court with. The lineup we're we're suggesting he's had twenty seven minutes plus that's, with. That's not that huge of a difference. It's not that huge of a difference. Exactly. Plus, I, I, my point is it's small sample size, but plus minus wise, it's three times better. Right, and with that, um, the if I remember correctly, I'm pulling up the schedule right now. Um, a lot of that plus minus 
is I think a lot of that comes from the Knicks game. Like otherwise, mm-hmm. like if you take the Knicks game out, they're negative at like that lineup is negative. Mm-hmm. The Aiden Baines combo is not good on the court. Um, but that Knicks game, they were like plus thirty eight or something, and so like now it's like whittling down because the other n- negative games they were they're not like drastically negative, but they're negative, and it's like cutting into it. Now here's an interesting point, Paul. Yes, building off what we we're just talking about, I just pulled up. Uh, the the lineups that Baines has been involved in, the lineup where he's well, he's only played this year for about thirty eight minutes with this lineup, but it's his second highest net per one hundred rating lineup is him, Booker, Bridges, Ubre, and Rubio. Common denominator. Baines and Aiton flipping back and forth with no. Bridges being I'm in saying the, the common denominator is right, 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 four right, guys. Right, right, right. Right, exactly. So, did we just solve the Suns? I think we did. Genius. It's like it's like three years ago when I got down on Booker. I said he needs to get his head out of his ass start playing. started playing better. I think we just did the well, same thing. Here's the question. Did we just solve the Suns or did... Like, are we just proving out that, like, what everybody's been wanting since the summer <laughs> should have been what they did in the first place? Yeah, but I think we've we've now put it Proven out there it. and established that that is in fact the case. So, bottom line, we're speaking it into existence, just like Dan spoke that loss into existence. Live. Right. Bottom bottom line the is night. that the Suns need to have Booker, Bridges, Uber, and Rubio on the court as much as together as much as possible. Right. Now I didn't pull up their just their four lineup, but I'm sure it's just fantastic. Going mm. off of you should pull it up. Maybe I will. Why don't you talk about something? I'll pull it up. Um, go. <laughs> you put me on the spot like that. Okay, I'll go. I can talk more about my idea how to fix, fix the league. But, um, no, don't no, do that. Don't do that. Um, yeah, it's <laughs> – I'm horrible at this. You can just cut all this <laughs> when we get there, when we get to the edit bay. We'll see what I do. <laughs> um, Jesus. Paul, what are the next four games that the Suns have coming up? Just start, oh, yeah. you start, just go start ahead, saying go ahead something about that. And yeah, I bet by so, the time, oh, I got it. I figured it out. All right. So the four-man rotation um, or four-man combination with Booker, Bridges, Ubre, and Rubio on the court this year have played 103 minutes together. That's it? Really? The net per 100 plus minus is plus 18.1 points which is the second highest per 100 rating of any four man group that Bridges has been involved in the one higher he's played 54 minutes with and that's Baines Booker him and Ubre so again we're still looking at the same same general guys yeah so it's basically Bridges Booker and Ubre should be on the court together and Rubio. Well, but no, even you said the other four-man lineup, the, the common, like, we're, we're Oh, reducing. I got you, I got you, I got you. Yeah, Rubio was not in the other one. I got you. Yeah. So... Who, what's the best four-man lineup, period, is, for is, the Suns? Is, 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 is... Bridges the glue guy? Isn't oh. that what he, like, everybody thought he was? He's going to be, like, an uber glue guy? So, we've also proven that point. Yes. The Suns' best four-man lineup overall? Yeah. Um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm scared to ask you to... Burn time while I pull that up. I can ask you. I can, while you pull that up, I can uh, talk about the next four games. I thought you were going to try to pull it up, but also, which would have just been dead air. No. Yeah. Go ahead. So, so the next four games going through, or actually, we'll do five because it take us through the end of next week. And look, you know what? Because this is how we do this now. We predict them, right? Yeah. I'm going to show my ability to multitask, and I'm going to listen to you, and I'm going to answer who's going to win those games. As I do this. Uh, Magic versus the Suns. Suns are home. Suns. By nine. Hornets versus the Suns. Suns are home. Suns by 11. Suns versus the Hawks. Uh, Hawks are home. Suns by three. Okay. Why? Why? Why'd you? Did well, you not like that answer? Well, I'm just... It's a weird pause. 
Go on. And the the records of the first two teams, you know, are they got to travel right. east? You know, it was a whole different thing that comes right. into play there. But the Hawks have won eight games. I'm just saying, man. The Suns. They played 25 games without John Collins. He's back. Sun, Suns versus the Knicks. Suns are or Knicks are home. Suns by seven. Okay. Because I got used to the time change. Suns versus the Celtics. Celtics are home. Suns by not points. <laughs> yeah. Cel- Celtics by eight. Whoa. <laughs> that was weird. Okay. Suns best four-man combo this season. Again, plus minus net 100. Mm-hmm. Devin Booker, Mikael Bridges, Kelly Oubre, and... DeAndre Ayton? Ricky Rubio. Ricky Rubio. So... What is that? What is the net? Plus 18.1. Oh, yeah, we talked about that one already. Technically, it's tied with the stellar lineup of Bridges, Diallo, Cam Johnson, Elliot Cobo. <laughs> so, yeah. Bottom line is, we didn't get into, I think, who we think is going to actually be the one sliding in. I, I have no idea, honestly. It's... I, here's here's and and we'll we'll I'll go through this last point here and we got to wrap up because we're running long. But the whole Baines and Aiton thing, yeah, I think frankly was a let's see how this works out. You know, we talked like, about all season how at some point when Aiton comes back, somebody's going to lose time in this rotation. Initially, yeah, Kaminsky, Mikey. Kaminsky, but Kaminsky got hurt. Someone still has to lose time in the rotation. Well, yeah, Kaminsky. Right, but, but but somebody still has to lose time in the rotation. Even, well, yeah, even still, because like Baines and Kaminsky were kind of splitting 50-50. Right, exactly. going to take even more minutes. And and if you're going to sit there and say, okay, somebody needs to lose time, you really have to kind of go more or less all in, for lack of a better way yeah. of putting You can't say, okay, we're just going to – take half the time away from one guy, half the time away from another guy. And I think the initial run was, let's see what happens with Baines and Aiton. And now, what very well might be the case is, let's see what happens with Sarich and Aiton. Right. Ideally, preference-wise, I think we've agreed that we'd rather see Bridges move into that starting lineup spot, but we'll see what happens. Right. Either way, something's changing, and it needs to change, and... People can get all freaked out and say, oh, my gosh, the Suns are playing like it's the 1980s and blah, 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 and they can shut up also because this was something that the Suns need to do in the process of figuring out how this rotation is going to work when you have Aiton back right. and Aiton getting integrated. And, again, you're playing against teams where they've been doing this for – 30 games and they've been able to set that type of stuff as much as it helped and it was useful i'm sure that Aiton was there for practice day in and day out it doesn't help you figure out what rotations are going to truly work in an nba game and nba speeds under nba circumstances right exactly and i mean yeah there's there's only so much you can do until you're like in live games to figure out how to audible and you know you can learn the sets all you want, but once that set breaks down, whether it's offensive or defensive, you need to be able to, like, okay, I gotta, how do I read the other guys on the floor? Who's doing what? Where do I need to be? Not where, not where do I want to think I should, should go. Where do I need to and be? And that's another great point is that these guys have to familiarize each other with one another. Right? That seemed like poor English. But you know what I'm saying? They have to get used to one another. Right. Like you're saying, the way that Sarich might react to a certain play and the way that, at this point, Baines expects him to react is perhaps different than how Aiton's going to react. And Baines has to be able to adjust to that. Just lo- and, and vice versa. Aiton has to adjust to how Sarich is exactly. going to react. Exactly. Exactly. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. So, all right. Let's wrap it up. We've gone longer than we should have. Longer which, than we expected. Which happens when we don't actually flesh stuff out, which might be the way we should just do this all the time. So I'm not even going to ask you any last thoughts. I think we've both shared enough thoughts for this particular episode of Fanny Flames. Now that the new year is here, happy new year, by the happy way. Happy new year. Happy new year. Happy new decade, Suns Nation. 
we're gonna try to get more consistent with this. I feel like this is like Do we see that every this episode? Like, this is like we're like we're like the we're like the we're like the cheating boyfriend who's like, ah, baby, I'm gonna change, I'm gonna change, and then people keep coming back, but we never change. But we're gonna change this time, I promise. So, as we say here on Fanny Flames, every time we actually record, we appreciate you guys listening to us. We truly do. You can catch me on Twitter. I'm at So Says Jay Paul. Dervish of World. And the pod is at Fan the Flames NBA. You can find us on brightsideofthesun.com on a at least annual basis. And <laughs> until next time, depending on when you're listening, have yourself a good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. Bye-bye. Just wanna get you